They say, you've probably heard it before, uh, the old phrase, you're a chip off the old block. Have you ever been told you're a chip off the old block? If I had a dollar for every time someone told me that I look and sound like my dad, I would be a wealthy man. I even get it that uh, my, my mother was an Edie, and in that line of the family, there's some prominent noses. And I've been told that I have an Edie nose. <laughs> We're chips off the old block. We're a lot like our parents, who were like their parents, who were like their parents, and so on. Sometimes when something doesn't quite go my way, I'll be like, ah, for Pete's sake. I don't know what Pete has to do with it. I, I don't know, it's just what I say. And I hear my kids starting to say that. Oh my goodness. And I got it for my dad. He would say, ah, for Pete's sake. I have no idea where that originated, who this Peter fellow was that gets blamed for everything. Uh, but I see that being passed on through the generations, these legacies, these ways of living. Now, of course, that's a flippant example, but there are things within us that run much, much deeper that inform the ways that we live, passed on from generations beforehand. My grandparents, Mel and Martha Eby, as a young married couple, they left the Markham Mennonite Church. If you don't know anything about the Markham Mennonite Church, uh, they do drive cars, but they are a more conservative Mennonite group. If you want to learn about the, the Mark of Mennonites, ask Dave Steckley, he'll have some good insight about that. But they were more traditional in the ways that they went about life. And my grandparents left that church to join Florida Mennonite Church. And there were a whole number of reasons why, but one of them was is that my grandmother always wanted to be a nurse, but she was not allowed to, to pursue the education required to choose that path in life. And she wanted her children she wanted her grandchildren to have the opportunities that she didn't have. Added to that, my grandparents at that time were involved with a number of other young people, and they were doing some mission work in the city. And I don't know the whole story, but I do know that the church leaders at that time kind of clamped down on it and said, no, you can't do that. That's not appropriate. I don't understand all of the reasons why. Perhaps it was a fear of, of being contaminated by the world, or I, I'm not sure. But that also was a part of their decision. They decided that they wanted to have opportunities going forward and then for their kids to pursue mission work. And now as I look at that and I see the ways that my, my mother and my, my uncles and my aunt, their lives unfolded, and as I see my, my cousins, how our lives unfolded, we live out this legacy of the choices of grandma and grandpa. And who knows, I, I do know my grandma says that her her father, so my great-grandfather, was a little bit of a, a rabble-rouser and one who wasn't afraid to push the boundaries uh, either. And uh, so anyway, this legacy is being passed on. The fact that I could go on a post-secondary education. The fact that I've got a, a couple of cousins who've done mission work in various parts of the world, which their grandparents got in trouble for doing it in the city, you know, half an hour away. And here they are all, all over different, different places. This is a legacy, a way of living being passed on. It's a family pattern. But there's also painful legacies that are passed on through families as well. How often do you see, whether it's in your own life, your own family, whether it's in families around you, you see destructive ways of living and you can trace it back. You say, I know the way that their grandfather, their mother, their great uncle, I know the way that they lived life. And I know that they're walking 
in light of that even now today. And the destruction continues on generation after generation. Alcoholism, sexual abuse, anger, deep insecurities, greed, workaholism. There's the whole list. Some are obviously destructive and others are quieter and under the radar and more subtle. After doing something yourself, have you ever paused and said, oh man, I saw that in my mom, I saw that in my dad, and I told myself I was never going to do that. Did you ever experience that? Part of the human experience is that we receive these legacies, these patterns, both beautiful and life-giving and painful and destructive through our family lines. And today we're going to talk about family sin patterns. We're on this journey, this series of becoming whole. If we want to become whole, we need to address, we need to be aware of the family sin patterns that we've inherited. And I believe with all my heart that the power of the Holy Spirit redeems this stuff. The power of the Holy Spirit brings healing. But it also requires us naming them. It requires us exploring them. It requires us doing this hard work, this heart surgery, this soul surgery, that we can become whole, opening up our lives and giving the Holy Spirit access. Not just putting our, our head down, nose to the grindstone, it's fine, I'm just going to press on. We've got to create this space for the Holy Spirit to come in and to do spiritual surgery. Family sin patterns are, are definitely present in the story of Scripture. A prime example is that of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 to 4. I invite you to turn with me there. Genesis 37, verses 3 to 4. Genesis 37, verses 3 to 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Yikes. Favoring one child over the rest, how does that go over? That's just, I mean, it's, it's setting your family up for all kinds of turmoil and pain. And in fact, the result of this is that Joseph's brothers despise him. They sell him into slavery, assuming never to be seen again. And then they lie to their father, saying that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. This is the fruit, this is the result of Jacob favoring Joseph over the rest of the brothers. The thing is, Jacob picked up this way of life, this way of tending to his family, this way of viewing the world. Jacob got that from his dad. You look at the life of Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. He favored Esau. Jacob was favored by his mother because he was a little bit more inclined to, to her qualities, her personality. Isaac favored Esau because he was a little bit more inclined to his personality and his way of life. And this so this division was sown in their family, which led to Jacob deceiving his father, going on the run because Esau wanted to kill him. 
the story of Joseph is just another repetition of that. It has its different shape, different shape, but its history being repeated. And the thing is, Isaac learned it from his mother. Isaac's mother, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, they had two sons. They had Ishmael and they had Isaac. And Sarah, because Ishmael was her stepson, but Sarah asked for Ishmael, her stepson, to be sent away from their family. She was jealous of him. She said, send him off with Hagar, his mother, into the desert. Again, unique circumstances around that, but it's that pattern of favoritism with children. And that created the legacy of enmity between Ishmael's family and Isaac's family. As I'm going through his names, I hope I get them all right at the right point. Isaac's family, Ishmael's family, which led to a lot of wars, a lot of battles for the Jewish people in the years to come. Family patterns were passed on generation by generation, and because they didn't address them, they became a curse on that family. You see this in many other places in the story of God's people. Look at the story of David. We know that David was an adulterer. He killed, he arranged for a man to be killed so that he could sleep with that man's wife or actually to cover up the fact that he was sleeping with that man's wife. If you look at David's children and grandchildren, sexual sin runs rampant. They've picked up this way of life, this way of viewing women, this way of abusing women. It was passed on generation by generation. David addressed it personally with God. He repented, he confessed, and yet there were seeds sown that blossomed again in the next generation and the next. Family sin patterns are a very real thing. Family sin patterns have affected your life too. And I can say that with confidence because every single one of you is human. Every one of you who have parents who are a mix of the good and the bad, the righteous and the sinful. It's time for you, if you want to become whole, to begin facing those family sin patterns head on. Rob Reamer, so continuing reminding you that we're basing off this book, Soul Care, grab a copy to really dig deep. Um, obviously we work with scriptural principles, but he's guiding us through those scriptural principles. He writes, family sin patterns are devastating in their power and effect. People who are abused often vow never to become like their parents, but then they'll end up being abusers themselves. Children of alcoholics swear that they'll never be like their parents, and often they end up repeating the family cycle of addiction. On a tragically sad number of occasions, I have sat down with someone who has landed in the gutter of their family's sin, and with their head bowed in shame and their eyes filled with tears of regret, they have said, I've become like my parent. I promise I never would. This is the pattern of family sins. And like I mentioned before, sometimes it's the really obvious destructive ways, and sometimes it's the quiet, subtle ways that we might not even notice. And I don't hesitate to say that there are ways that your family sin patterns have affected you that a lot of us in the room aren't even aware of, but you know about, and those close to you no about The good news is, we just celebrate the Lord's Supper and we are forgiven. 
So as we press into this, we can press in as forgiven people. Jesus accomplished your righteousness at the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You have the forgiveness of sins. We're not working to earn salvation. We're not trying to make God love us better. Because we're fully loved, we can have the courage and the hope to dive into this, start working out practically the righteousness that Jesus has already accomplished for us. It's time to become whole in Christ. Now, when addressing family sin problems, one of the things that people struggle with the most is that, in fe- is, is that by naming generational sin, that they're dishonoring their family. That's a, that's a very real feeling. I don't want to name things from my family past because I don't want to dishonor those that I've received so much from. And it's not to discredit the fact that we've been blessed incredibly by our families. We don't want to cast blame. We don't want to dishonor. We don't want to denigrate those who've gone before us. But Reader challenges that in this book. He writes, he says, the most honorable thing you can do is break family patterns. It brings your family no honor if you continue their sinful behaviors. He continues, we don't talk about family sin patterns to blame our families or to make excuses for our lives. We talk about our family sin patterns to gain victory so that we can honor our family legacy. I believe that deep down, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, deep down, they would love nothing more than for you to break free from the things that they struggle with. They would love nothing more than to see you walk in freedom and health and joy. Right? Isn't that what our parents and our grandparents want? And, and so addressing our family sin, we're not staying on the rooftop saying, oh, look at what my family did, has done. You'll notice I'm not sharing off from my story this morning. Because when we work through this stuff, it's often not our stories to tell. And that's the case for every one of us. But with those close to us, we have a responsibility to honor that family legacy. To honor our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, by making these steps to become healthy in ways that maybe they weren't. I want my kids to be better at dealing with conflict than I am. I want my great-grandkids to be able to deal with challenging situations more patiently than I do. I want my grandkids to have a solid Identity founded in what Jesus has done for them so that their emotions don't rise and fall based on whether they feel successful or not, like is often the case for me. I hope that my kids and my grandkids can look back and say, you know what, Grandpa, he struggled with that. I can see here the ways in which he was actually dishonoring to God and hurt the people around him. I want them to be able to name that and to grow in freedom and hope, learning from the generations prior by the power of the Holy Spirit. Reamer offers a few kind of tips to guide us as we work toward overcoming family sin patterns. 
And I'm going to echo again, this sermon is not going to transform your life. This is not sufficient to help you work through this. Grab the book. Start reading through it. Praying through it. We're going to have a couple of small groups starting up based on this book. There's going to be other options, like next year, we're going to share this um, opportunity called Freedom Session with the church. We're two sessions in, it's so good. I'm just, there's a participant, and <laughs> I was getting a little emotional this past week because the speaker was just like hitting all the, all the stuff. And then we kind of sit in a circle with these small kind of triads and confidentiality and start sharing our own stories. Good stuff. So that would be an opportunity in about a year's time here. Lots of ways to dig in. This sermon is not enough. But here's a few ideas to get you going. In addressing family sin patterns, the first step is to admit them. Do a search of your family's stories. What themes, what commonalities do you see being passed along? Are there family secrets? Are there gaps where you're like, I don't know what happened here. What happened to this person? Look into them. The author, Rob Reamer, he said he knew that sexual sin was affecting him and his kids in a number of ways. And so he started to do the work. He went to his grandma. He said, Grandma, I want to know the story. And she told him all kinds of things he had no idea about. He said, yeah, like, we're living in the light of this. We need to address it. He admitted it. And that started the story, the journey of restoration. The next key piece of advice is don't compromise. When sin is deeply rooted in us, it's not something that we just kind of picked up along the way. There could be some sins and patterns we pick up along the way from other pieces, other places. These generational family sin patterns are often just absorbed from the time we're little kids. We just absorb how our family reacts in certain situations. We absorb how they view the world. We absorb the anxieties. We absorb the low self-esteem. We absorb the anger. We absorb the bitterness. And it becomes deeply rooted in us. It's not something we can just toss off or fix quickly on our own. Don't compromise. With the power of the Holy Spirit, go at it hard, attack it. Rima writes, he says, you have to create a zero-tolerance policy for, their, for the difficult areas of your life. There are some areas of your lives that are questionable for others. Sorry. There are some areas of our lives that are questionable for us, but might be perfectly legal or acceptable for, for others. There may be things that other people are fine to do, that you've got to attack full on, so I don't have nothing to do with that. If gossip is a family sin pattern, go for a couple months where you never, ever, ever say something negative about somebody else. There are situations where you need to discern situations where there needs to be, well, yeah, discernment in which you are naming things that other people are doing that aren't helpful. But if you're showing gossip, you've got to step back from that entirely and say, I'm not going to say a negative thing about anybody for six months. Maybe that's a possible step. If alcohol's been an issue, you may need to say, I'm taking a zero tolerance policy. I'm going dry. I'm not touching it. Deal with this stuff ruthlessly. These sins have deep root systems. It's going to take blood. It's going to take sweat. It's going to take tears for you to root them out. There's a reason why you're still struggling with them. Trying harder isn't going to cut it. Pray through them, journal through them, talk with your kind of your triad, your people close. Invite the power of the Holy Spirit. Claim the authority of Jesus over these areas. Get help. That's the third piece of advice. Don't do this alone. Last week I referred to James 5.16 where it said, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. 
Get people around you to talk and pray through it. One person, two people. People you look up to. Get help. Grab a book, a podcast. Look up a YouTube video on the subject of what you're dealing with. And the last bit I want to say is see a counselor. Did you know that a part of our benevolent fund we have here at the church is something like $4,500 sitting in the benevolent fund? Our benevolent fund allows for anyone to seek counseling, and we will cover 80% of your costs for five sessions, and then we reevaluate quite possibly 10 sessions. That's a fairly significant financial commitment, but we have the money there because we want to bear each other's burdens to help you get well. It's confidential. You talk to myself, you talk to Pastor Dennis, you talk to one of your deacons, and then just for financial accountability, I would talk to Dennis and another deacon just to make sure everybody's aware. But you might be afraid, you're like, oh my goodness, Ryan's gonna think less of me if I tell him I need help with counseling. Honestly, if you come to me and you say, I wanna pursue a few counseling sessions, I will think higher of you. I will look up to you, I will respect you, I'll be like, that's awesome. So awesome that people are dealing with their junk. It's our pushing it away, not admitting it. That's, that's not honorable. What's honorable is saying, I'm struggling, I need help. And it can be all over the map where your, your life is absolutely on, on the rocks or as far as, like, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with this. It is kind of re- wreaking havoc, but it's not destroying me, but I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Get help. I would be just like, you would make my week if I had a number of you this week. Be like, you know what, I'd like to go check out some counseling. We've got my piece of water counselors, a number of places nearby where counselors meet with um, clients. Um, so we, that can be tailored to your situation of what your level of comfort is in terms of who the counselor is, all of that. That'd be, that'd be awesome. The other piece is practice spiritual disciplines. Replace sinful habits with life-giving ones. If you're struggling with addictive behavior, do the opposite. Reaver suggests actually fasting. If you're struggling with addiction of things, practicing denial of pleasure, denial of physical needs in order to spend time with God, that can be a key piece of the puzzle for breaking that power of addiction. If you're dependent on people's approval and that's what's destroying you, get alone with God. Do quite a, a little retreat, maybe a couple days of silence and solitude. Away from everybody, not talking to anybody, being with God. Let Him minister to your heart when you're not receiving anything from anybody else. Lots of other examples in that area. And then he suggests also memorizing scripture and dwell on it. Your particular area of struggle, your particular area of sin, what are one or two scripture passages that relate to that? Memorize it and then repeat it to yourself over and over again. Remember what I talked about a couple weeks ago with self-talk? It sounds cheesy and ridiculous, but it actually it's actually really helpful. Repeating the promises about your identity, repeating the words, the commands of what God is calling you to. So, this is not an easy process. It's doing heart surgery. It's opening up our lives before God and allowing His light and His love to come in. And I believe with all my heart that you can do it. It can be scary. It's like, oh, I don't want to admit this stuff. It's hard. It's crazy. It's chaotic. You can do it with the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I believe that with all my heart because I've seen it. I've seen it in a number of different places. So I'm going to ask you this morning, will you honor your parents? Will you honor your grandparents and your great-grandparents by learning from and addressing the sinful patterns 
of life that you have inherited from generations before. So that you, so that your kids, your grandkids, can become more whole and free in Christ than maybe you were able to. I think that this would be an excellent way to honor the generations that have gone before. Let's become whole by addressing the family sin patterns that we have to the glory of God. A couple of reflection questions for you. I'll email these out again, but please take a few minutes, pray, journal through this this week. What are the sin patterns in your family? Describe the full effect of them. Question two. How do those family patterns manifest in your life? Be honest. And oftentimes it's not the really obvious behaviors. I mean, if it's alcoholism or abuse or, or like rage, like maybe those are easy to identify. There's a lot of ways we approach relationships that are really subtle, but quietly destructive that we picked up. What action steps do you need to overcome them? List out maybe three, two or three. These are the steps I'm going to take. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to meet with the counselor. I'm going to practice his spiritual discipline. I'm going to go talk to my, my dad and say, what's the story here? Can we, can we talk about this together? And we'll just close by praying this prayer together. So I invite you, oftentimes physical posture communicates to God, um, or it just adds kind of an embodied communication. So I invite you to hold up your hands if you wish to God and to pray together. Lord, I'm willing to change, but I don't know how to change. There are deep-seated things inside of me that are broken, and I can see that. The problem is, I don't know what they are. I don't know what the roots are. And I don't know how to change them. I need your help. Can you lead me to a path of change? Amen.